Well, take your Bibles and turn with me to Ecclesiastes. You say, where in the world is Ecclesiastes? It's right after Proverbs. You say, where is Proverbs? It's right after Psalms. And if you don't know where it is, if you've got an Old and New Testament, if you'll just open it halfway through, you'll find Psalms, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes, all right? Ecclesiastes, and we're going to look at verses chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. Every year in January, we have Stewardship Month. Stewardship just means that as Christians, it's a biblical concept that we don't own anything. Everything that we have, we're just caretakers of temporarily while we're on this earth, and we'll have to give an account of that to God after we die. If you're a Christian, you literally own nothing. Everything you have belongs to the Lord. And our theme for this month has been train yourself for godliness. And we've looked at that. We got that from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. It says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. We've already looked at several different topics. We started off with a godly Christian and his faith, a godly Christian and his family. We talked about marriage, a godly Christian and his family. Then we talked about parenting. Today we'll look at our fourth topic, and that is a godly Christian and his friends. And Lord willing, next week we'll look at a godly Christian and his finances. Today we're looking at friends. I have a few quotes that I want to give you about friendship that I thought were really good. If you were another person, would you like to be a friend of you? Second quote, friends are like good health. You don't realize what a blessing they are until you lose them. Benjamin Franklin, he's always got something to say. Be slow in choosing a friend and slower in changing friends. Aristotle, friendship is a single soul dwelling in two bodies. I like that. Then someone said, value a friend who for you finds time on his calendar, but cherishes, but cherish the friend for you, who for you does not even consult his calendar. Henry Cloud and John Townsend, they've written a lot of books. They're psychologists. And they wrote a best-selling book called Safe People. You know, some people are not safe. Some people are not safe to be around, much less to be friends. And they listed three characteristics of a safe relationship, a safe friendship. A safe friend, first of all, draws you closer to God. If you have a friend and they're not drawing you closer to God, get away from them. Secondly, a safe friend draws you closer to other people. If they just want you for themselves all the time, that's not right. God created you for fellowship. And so a good friend will want you to have other friends. And then a safe friend will help you become the person that God created you to be. All of us need friends like that. Amen? We all need friends. And the Bible is filled with examples of great friendships. I mean, you think about Moses and Joshua. 
They spent 40 years. That was the staff. Every day they had a meeting too with the Lord. And they led each with the people of God. Two million people in the wilderness for 40 years. Don't you know they loved one another's fellowship? And then Ruth and Naomi, David and Jonathan, Paul and Barnabas. But interestingly, this text that I'm going to read from today was written by a man who had grown old and he was crusty. He was wise and he was wealthy, but he was worldly. The son of the king of David, Solomon himself, wrote some of the greatest words about friendship, although he had very few friends. Like Solomon, there are a lot of lonely people who are successful in the world, but not successful in life. Howard Hughes was worth at least $4 billion when he died. And purportedly, he said, not long before he died, I'd give it all for one good friend. Let's learn from that. Let's learn from King Solomon. Let's learn from Howard Hughes, these people who are wealthy but lonely with few friends. Let's talk about a godly Christian and his friends. Ecclesiastes 4, beginning at verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. Let's talk first of all about, and we're going to walk through this text under this first point, the gift of friends. The gift of friends. King Solomon wrote our text, other than Jesus, he probably was the wisest man ever to live. He wrote the book of Proverbs, sayings of wisdom. He wrote the book Song of Solomon when he was in love with his first wife, and that was the Shulamite. But as life progressed, King Solomon digressed. He married hundreds of other women, foreign women who turned his heart away from the Lord. He was wealthy. He was surrounded by beautiful women, other people, but he died a lonely, old, cold, bitter man. And in our text, in these, just these four verses, Solomon speaks about the need to have somebody with whom to share life. We weren't made to live alone. He spoke about the gift for companions and friends. First of all, friends, he said, promote productivity. It's one good reason to have a friend. You, you'll be more productive if you have friends than if you don't. He says in verse 9, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. He's talking about cooperating with someone in your work. 
two people working together instead of working by themselves will be much more productive. Two collaborating workers will get more done. This is what a lot of people called synergy, not S-I-N, but S-Y-N-E-R-G-Y. The technical definition of synergy is this, the energy or force created by the working together of various parts or processes. In business, synergy is defined this way, the benefit derived from combining two or more elements or businesses so that the performances of the combination is higher than that of the performance of the individual elements or businesses. You say, Brother Steve, what are you talking about? I'm talking about two people together can do a lot more than one person can, or that the two individuals can do individually. Case in point, do you realize how much stronger two horses are than four horses, or four horses are than two horses? Two horses can pull about 9,000 pounds. You say, well, how many can four horses pull? Well, most people would say mathematically it's 18,000. I mean, if uh, two horses can pull 9,000, surely what the answer is is twice that, right? Wrong. Wrong. Four horses can not only pull 18,000 pounds, they can pull 30,000 pounds. That's almost three times more than two horses. What is that? Synergy makes all the difference in the world. When people are working together, there's more power when they're working together. No wonder the Bible says two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. They encourage one another. When the other worker gets discouraged, two are better than one. And they complement each other adding strength to the other person's weakness. I think about Nehemiah. And by the way, if you go to Israel, they don't call it Nehemiah. They call it Nehemiah, all right? So we've been saying it wrong, but let's just keep saying it because in America, nobody even knows who you're talking about if you said Nehemiah. Nehemiah 4, verse 6, so we built the wall, we built the wall, and the whole wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Friends promote productivity. When you have people working with you, more work gets done. Secondly, friends perpetuate stability. Good friends do, godly friends do. Verse 10, for if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion but woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Most of the roads in Solomon's day were not paved. They were not level. They had rocks all in them. So it wasn't unusual for a traveler to stumble as he was walking. Sometimes he'd fall. He'd even break bones. And sometimes people that didn't cover a pit, people would fall into that pit. There are even laws against that in the book of Leviticus. But when a person traveled with somebody else, if he fell, he had somebody to pick him up. We've all seen that commercial, I've fallen and I can't get up. 
How many of you have ever fallen by yourself? Anybody? I have. What do you do? First thing you do, you don't check how you feel. You look around and see if anybody saw you. <laughs> Isn't that right? I mean, how weird does it feel to fall when you're just by yourself? There are a lot of hidden faults, hidden rocks, hidden places to fall in life. And the Bible says it's very easy to fall into sin. It's very easy if you're by yourself to do something that you probably wouldn't have done if you had just had a godly companion close by. Warren Wiersbe said, if this applies to our physical falls, how much more does it apply to those times when we stumble in our spiritual walk and need restoration? You need somebody in your life to be able to speak to you honestly and say, when this applies, you should not be doing that. If you don't have anybody in your life that will speak to you plainly like that, you need somebody like that. I've got people in my life that do. Galatians 6, 1, dear brothers and sisters, if another brother believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Fallen people need compassion, not criticism. I read a story about Jackie Robinson, the first black man to play Major League Baseball. He broke all kinds of records in baseball. But one day in a Major League game, he fumbled the ball and he faced the heckling crowds and he committed that error and the fans began to boo him and ridicule him. And really, even if he didn't make a mistake, whenever he would go to a stadium, he was the first black man there and many of the people didn't like the idea of black people playing baseball in the major leagues. And so the fans began to boo him when he messed up he stood at second base and he was humiliated, but something happened. The shortstop, I love this name, Pee Wee Reese. Surely his mother didn't name him that. Surely he collected that a long way. Pee Wee Reese came over to his second baseman, Jackie Robinson, and just stood by him and stared all the heckling people down. He put his arm around Jackie Robinson and faced the crowd, and they stopped booing. Robinson later said that Reese's arm around his shoulder saved his baseball career. Friends perpetuate stability. And then thirdly, friends provide intimacy. Look at verse 11. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? 
these verses validate any spouse who has cold feet <laughs> that want the other one to stand still while they warm them up or to lie still rather. This verse could refer to marriage. It could just refer to friends in general. Back in the Old Testament times, when people traveled, they had to sleep by each other because they didn't, they were out in the cold desert. And when you stayed close to somebody, you didn't have just one blanket, you had two. Everybody just carried one blanket. And it prevented the harshness and the coldness of life. If you have a good Christian friend, don't you love the warmth of the spiritual and the emotional friendship in tough times? Don't you enjoy that? Sure you do. Friends provide intimacy and then friends produce security. Look at verse 12. <clears throat> and if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three stands is not quickly torn apart. Now in Solomon's day, traveling was dangerous. If you traveled by yourself, you could get beaten up and thrown into a ditch. That's what happened to the man that the good Samaritan ministered to. He was traveling alone. And he got in trouble. But if he traveled with somebody, you had somebody to help you fight back. And if you traveled with three, that was even better. Just as a three-ply cord is stronger than one or two plies, three people can defend themselves more effectively than two and certainly more than one. I think about again, Nehemiah, Nehemiah, when he was defending Jerusalem, he said, and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of all the people, the work is great and we're widely divided. We are separated on the wall, far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there, our God will fight for us. Their unity would protect them. Aesop told a story about four bulls that were friends. And there was a lion that was wanting to eat them up, but he couldn't overpower the four bulls. You say, Brother Steve, where do you get all this stuff? Aesop was not a Christian, but he was a wise man. And he said, the lion devised a way to devour these cows, these bulls. He whispered in their ears individually that the others were saying bad things about them. And one by one, they relinquished their friendship and pulled away from one another. And one by one, the lion devoured them. I want to say this to you. The devil is a liar. And he will whisper to you and say harsh things about godly people who you have befriended. And he will try to break you up. He will, I'm going to say this to you. The devil is out to destroy every marriage. 
The devil is out to destroy the camaraderie of every friendship, godly friendship, and he is out to destroy every church. He wants to divide. He wants to divide cities. He wants to divide nations. He wants to divide churches. He wants to divide denominations. He wants to divide your family. Friends, though, produce security. That's what the Lord says about the gift of friends. Now, I want to just, there's so much said about friendship in the Bible. I, I just wanted to give you a few things uh, that I just say that are biblical guidelines for friendship. Biblical guidelines for friendship. I hope you'll write these down. Uh, you have the blanks there. I'll give them to you very quickly. First of all, a real friend encourages you. He encourages you. When I played football, we had cheerleaders. What were the cheerleaders supposed to do? To get the folks in the stands to cheer for us and to encourage us. Well, you and I need spiritual cheerleaders to make it as Christians. We need somebody to stand with us and say, I want to put courage in you. I want to encourage you. Job 6 verse 14 says, For the despairing man there should be kindness from his friend, so that he does not forsake the fear of the Almighty. Job said, I need some friends. By the way, the best thing that those three original friends of his did was they kept their mouths shut and just sat with him in empathy for a whole week. It's when they opened their mouth that they got in trouble. Sometimes the best thing you can do for someone who is hurting is just go and be there. The ministry of holy presence. A friend encourages. A friend also is loyal. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. A good friend will love you warts and all. He'll love you not for your faults, but in spite of your faults. I like what someone said about a friend like this who is loyal. A friend, a loyal friend is someone who walks in when everybody else is walking out. He walks in when everybody else is walking out. May God bless you with loyal friends. Also, a friend, according to Scripture, can surpass family. You can be closer to friends than you are your own family, especially if your family doesn't know the Lord and you do. Proverbs 27, verse 6, wounds from a sincere friend. Now, wait a minute. Proverbs 18, 24, I'm sorry. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend, say it with me, who sticks closer than a brother. I'll be frank with you. When I first got saved, I was closer to some of my godly friends than I was to many of my family members who didn't know the Lord. And it was hard, but I was greatly blessed to have those friends. If you're a Christian and your family members aren't, you'll probably have more in common with Christians than with your own family members. And may God bless you 
with friends who are closer than a brother. Uh, Next, a friend is honest. Sometimes we would say brutally honest. Now, don't try to be brutally honest, but sometimes it hurts. Honesty hurts sometimes. Proverbs 27, verse 6, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Well, there's some people just brag on you and they don't bit more mean it than a man in the world, a a man in the moon. And then there are some people that will just say, I love you. You've got a blind spot in your life. Can I please talk to you and tell you what you're missing, what you don't see? I want to tell you, those kind of people, you need those kind of people. If you don't have those kind of people speaking in your life, you are not going to be the person God wants you to be. You can't just have somebody all the time that's patting you on the back like everything's okay when it's not okay. A friend is honest. He'll tell it like it is. He's honest about your faults. He's honest about your failures. Sometimes you don't need a pat on the back. You might need a kick in the pants. May God bless you with an honest, loving friend. And then a friend also, if you live long enough, you'll find out that a friend can fail you. No matter how good your friends are, they are still sinners. And sooner or later, a good friend will disappoint you. Happened to Job, Job 19, 14. My relatives have failed me. My intimate friends have forgotten me. The psalmist said in Psalm 41, verse 9, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Eventually, you'll have a good friend that will fail you. And eventually, you will fail a good friend. You will. You will. So don't be so upset when they fail you. A friend can fail you. And then a friend overlooks mistakes. Proverbs 17, 9. He who conceals a transgression seeks love. That is, he doesn't emphasize all the bad things you've done. He seeks to love you in spite of what you've done. He doesn't love what you've done if it's sinful, but he doesn't mention it to you all the time. He who repeats a matter, that's What he's talking about, a sinful transgression, separates intimate friends. I don't know about you, but I never liked a tattletale. Sure, if somebody commits a crime, you need to report it. Yes. But if somebody has just hurt your feelings, let it go. Let it go. You say, well, I can't. Then you're living in sin. Jesus let it go. You need to let it go. When nobody was asking for Jesus to forgive them, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You want to be like Jesus? Forgive people even when they don't ask you to. Even if you don't feel like it. Don't you like it when people cut you slack? Well, that was pitiful. Do you even know what I'm talking about? I used a little Dyersburg language there. I don't, 
cut you slack? Do you understand that? I mean, give you a little bit of grace. Don't you like that? Yeah, I thought you did. Y'all are choking out there today. Amen. I sure like it. Don't you like it when you fly by a police officer and you are going way over the speed limit and for whatever reason, the blue light doesn't come on? <laughs> Tell me you aren't singing the hallelujah chorus. <laughs> well, why don't you cut somebody else some slack? Well, they've done me wrong. Forgive them. Let it go. It's doing more to upset you than it is them anyway. Just let it go. Give it to God. Give them over to God. Overlook mistakes. Dr. Rogers said it takes no size to criticize. A friend overlooks mistakes. And then don't befriend the world. James 4, verse 4, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? He's not talking about people committing physical adultery. He's talking about people who commit spiritual adultery. They love the world more than they love God. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You're going to have a hard time living for Christ if you've got to please everybody that doesn't love the Lord, you're going to have an impossible time living for Christ if you've got to please everybody out there in the world. It's time to choose whom you're going to serve, Jesus or the world, and you can't have both. It's time for you to decide whose side are you on, God's or the world's. Do you want Jesus or do you want the world? can't have both. You can't keep on stealing and be a friend of Jesus. You can't keep on cohabitating and be a friend of Jesus. You can't look at porn and be a friend of Jesus. You can't keep telling lies and hating other people and loving money and loving things and be a friend of Jesus. And you sure can't hate another person because of the color of their skin and be a friend of Jesus. You can't be a friend of the world and be a friend of Jesus. You got to choose. And then your best friends should be believers. Should you have lost friends? I'll talk about that momentarily. Yes, but your best friends should be believers. You're going to become like your friends, so choose good ones. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6, don't be bound together, that is, don't be friends with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? Don't be best friends with unbelievers. Or what harmony has Christ with Belial, that's the devil? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idolatry? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. Don't touch what is unclean. 
I will welcome you. I'll be a father to you. You shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Don't let your children hang around people that are sinful. Don't let your children date people that will influence them badly. You have the right to do that, parents. And don't you be best friends with somebody who does not love Jesus Christ, who calls the Lord's name in vain. If you work with people like that, you can't help but be around them, but they're not to be your best friends. Don't be best friends with lost people. And then very quickly, befriend unbelievers for one reason, to evangelize them. I went to Steve Tucker's funeral yesterday and they said of Steve, that Steve told everybody that he discipled, when you meet somebody for the first time, within the first two sentences, let them know that you're a Christian and let them know where you stand with Jesus Christ. And that will define your friendship with them henceforth. And to that I say, amen. amen. You befriend lost people to win them to Christ. Those are some guidelines for friendship. Now let's look very quickly at the greatest friend, God. Are you a friend of God? God was Abraham's friend. Bible says in James 2, verse 23, the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, was, it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. God deeply loved him and called Abraham his friend. God was Moses' friend. God was Moses' friend. Exodus 33, 11. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face just as a man speaks to his friend. Now most of us won't talk with God like that until we get to heaven. But are you a friend of God? And the good news is God can be your friend. Jesus said the night before he died in John 15, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends for all things that I've heard from my Father I've made known to you. Am I talking to somebody today? And you would say, Brother Steve, I don't have many true friends. I read a poem once that said, I went out to find a friend, but could not find one there. But then I went out to be a friend, and I found friends everywhere. Quit trying to have friends and start being a friend, and you will have friends. And if you're lost, today Jesus wants to become the best friend you'll ever have. I love that old hymn, I have found a friend in Jesus. 
And I want to say this to you. Way more than God wants you to serve him, God wants you to love him as a friend. When's the last time in your prayer time that you weren't glad when it was over with? That you just checked it off so that you could get the stuff you want? When's the last time you just sat in his presence and said, God, if you don't give me another thing, if you don't give me another breath, if you don't give me another day, you have been good to me. I love you, Lord. Not because of just what you've done for me, but I just love you for being my father. You are my friend, Lord, and I want to be your friend. Oh, what a friend he is. If you don't know him today, would you come to him? Would you come to him through the only way you can come to God, and that's through Jesus Christ? Would you repent, turn from your sin, ask God to forgive you? Would you believe that when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty for your sin? And when he rose from the dead, he can now give you eternal life. And if you will just repent and believe in him and receive him and ask him to save you, oh, he will. He will. And you'll walk out of here with the greatest friend you've ever had. I don't know what I would do without Jesus. I have no idea how I could live another day in this crazy world, in this sin-sick world that has been going down ever since the first couple ate the forbidden fruit. People say it's worse than it's ever been. I don't know. There was a time in Noah's day God killed everybody but one family. It's been bad a long time. It's still bad, and it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse before Christ comes back. Be a friend of Christ, and he will see you through this life and usher you into life everlasting and eternal.